Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. You know, I've said it a thousand times or more that God will always sift to shift to lift. And in all our lives, from time to time, we go through siftings. But they're never to hurt, they're to heal. And those siftings shift us to places higher up in God so He can lift us to a place of great influence. God is about to amplify and clarify the language in this house. This afternoon, I felt it very strongly and in fact, had already written it in my notes for the staff tomorrow. But it's not just gonna be a language, it's gonna be an accent. Sometimes people can learn to speak a language and say all the right things. Our church believes A, B, C, D, E. But there's something about when you carry that accent that is something that is more than just saying it, but you're carrying something that's been with you from birth. You know, the Italians, they, they came out from Italy. My parents, you know, um, uh, so many years ago, but they were young. They were in their late teens and early 20s when they migrated and still 60 years later, they carry an accent. My father still goes, hello, how are you today? How you going, Dad? Oh, you know, thanks to God, you know. That's the life, thanks to God, you know. He answered the phone one day and he he was trying to work out who it was on the other end of the phone. He goes, hello, uh, which one do you speak? He's saying, Who's, he's trying to say, who is it on the other line? We have a relative, we have a relative in Melbourne. You got me into this, Tony. <laughs> this wasn't planned, okay? We might not get to any message. I have a relative in Melbourne. His name is Pastor Dante Cicchiello. Been in Australia most of his life. And he goes on community television, channel 31, to preach in Italian. I watched the videos the other day with my dad and he said, most of those people are dead now. And these are videos from the 80s, they're still putting on channel 31. (laughs) But one day he decided to preach in English. He normally stands behind a rock in his lounge room. I think it's not a real rock, it's made of plastic, around the plastic flowers and My mum's still got them. And he stands behind this rock and he goes, today, I want to talk to you about the love of Jesus. Now, I need to interpret the love of Jesus. The thief on the cross, the thief on the cross. Jesus said to him, today, no yesterday, not tomorrow, but today, you will be with me in paradise straight away. So, I don't think anybody got saved. I, I did a youth camp for him. I did a youth camp for him and he was giving out the camp rules. And he goes, younger people, I want to tell you the rules for this camp. No boys in the girls' room and no girls in the boys' room. 
He goes, the boys are going this way and the girls are going this way anyway. So we laugh, but you know, I used to work in a menswear store. Here they come, they're all coming there. I used to work in a menswear store in Victoria Square Arcade and the little Italians used to come in to buy their clothes off me and they didn't know I was Italian. And one guy was going to Italy for holiday and it was very cold in winter over there and he wanted to buy long johns. How many of you in the room know what long johns are? They are winter long underwear. And he goes, hello. Because they always start with hello. They go, me go to Italy for holiday. It's very cold over there. Do you sell underpants with the sleeves? (laughs) So I knew what he wanted. He, um, this is not meant to be a comedy act, but anyway, I will get to a spiritual point on this in a moment, but he had very small shoes and he wanted to buy five and a half size Zealon woolen socks. He goes, so I want the socks to go with the, with the, with the underpants and with the sleeves. And he goes, uh, I said, you have a very small shoe. He said, what size are you? He said, I'm a half past five. <laughs> so... And then he wanted a nice hat and he wanted to buy an Akubra hat. And Akubra hats come in inches, as many of you that wear them know, 23 and a quarter, 27 and one eighth. And I said, I don't know your size. What size would you want for your hat? He goes, I think I'm about to 28 kilometres. (laughs) That's a pretty big head. (laughs) However... It doesn't stop there because all my relatives, they still talk like that. Pat Mercedes, some of you know my friend Pat, his mother came to Australia. She went to buy a colander to drain her spaghetti. She didn't know what to call it. She goes, hello, uh, me want to buy, stop a spaghetti water, come down. <laughs> a stop a spaghetti water, come down. I understand what that is. And we've just had a really good laugh But you know, sometimes the church speaks a language that is a mixture that a world can't understand. And our language isn't just spoken with words, but it's spoken through our lives by the way we care. One of the greatest things that's happening in my life right now is spending a lot of time with not yet Christians. Not yet. I'm finding that Christ is not the issue. And they don't have an issue with the God factor, but they freak out with the Christian factor because it's a language, talk a little bit like this. They don't fully understand it. And God is raising up churches all over the world right now that are learning the power of making a certain sound a clear sound. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, if a trumpet doesn't make a certain sound, who will prepare for war? And it's more than just trendy. It's the clarification of truth in a way that people come to Christ and walk with Christ and stay with Christ and that He can be with us all the days of our lives and the church becomes a great blessing to our lives. For all the deacon-possessed church that I grew up in, for all the issues in church politics, for all the issues over 40 years, I wouldn't swap 
loving God's church with anything else because God's church is God's plan. God said He would build His church and it's the answer to a broken world. But we've got to get the church back to pattern at large. And victory, I believe God's taking you. I really do. On amazing journey. I wanna say something here at this point that when we embrace that a church goes from deliverance, which is you know where God sets us free, it's the good news and, and we all embrace this incredible uh, comfort of the gospel and the connection of people in the church, which is fantastic. We've gotta not stay there. We've gotta to go to the cause of Christ which is more than just comfort. It's because Christ is the answer to the world. We have to go from fellowship to ownership. God doesn't want us to be a feel good fellowship churches. He wants us to be ownership churches. And so as I was praying in my head this afternoon, I was just going around and around. I know it might sound corny, but the phrase for tonight in this season of Victory Church is alignment for assignment. God wants you to come into alignment for the assignment. Now, can I say something that's wrong in Christianity? And I think you're mature enough to handle this. No one should ever join a church and say, how will this church unlock my ministry? It's totally wrong. Because let me tell you, there's gotta be three unions. What's gotta happen is God puts a dream in your heart or He puts a purpose in your life that has to match the purpose on the church you attend. Because God doesn't just have a purpose for your life, He has a purpose for the corporate body that you attend. And the purpose over Victory Church cannot be different than the purpose in your life. They must marry. See, for every Christian there is a purpose, but there's a purpose for every pastor, for every minister. So if, I'm, if Tony and Kathy are the right leaders to lead this vision, the purpose they have personally matches the purpose over this house corporately and it match, matches the purpose in your life individually. And those things have to have synergy and we've got to come into alignment because we can do a lot more together than running off and doing your own thing. In our own church, the number of people that go and give money to things because it makes them feel good. It makes them feel this is giving them a name. It makes them feel that people will notice what I've done for this charity and that charity. You need to hear me tonight, that is not biblical. In 2 Kings chapter six, and I wasn't gonna say any of this. So you got me into trouble right at the beginning. In 2 Kings chapter six, the school of the prophets come to Elisha and they go, we see what you see. And as we see what you see, we're all gonna together take our own God shape, take our own gifting and together build individually with our own gifts that which God has shown you. So as you see, we see, we now individually come into alignment for assignment. God is about to do something powerful in this house. Let me tell you, in, at the end of the service, now I know why I need to show you the video. I wanna show you a video called One Nation, One Day. Can a nation be saved in a day? In fact, get, get it ready now and I'll show it now. But can a nation be saved in a, in a day? Remember Jedediah Therner who preached here? All the young girls go, yeah, we remember him. The guns, you know, and all that, yeah. I go to the gym four times a week now. So one day I'll be back with my guns, I tell you. It'll be fantastic. 
Can a nation be one in a day? And you know, because of synergy, unity, clarity, and all those other components, a couple of years ago, in one day, an entire nation and the nation of Honduras heard the Gospel. They heard it in one day, every school was, was preached, was, was shared the Gospel. Uh, they had to extend the runway of Honduras to bring the aeroplanes in with supplies. And I'm gonna show you that video because it was a couple of guys in their 30s that decided to get the body of Christ together as one, with one alignment for an assignment. It's changed the nation, it's reduced the crime rate by 70%. The drug lords have been driven out of town of the entire nation. The telecom of the nation has been sending out text messages to families across the nation. Today, I'll love my children. Today, I'll love my family. The President of the nation said, today we have a new nation. And they've changed the entire nation to such a degree that the Dominican Republic have now asked if nations, their nation can get the same. And our church is just one of many and we're taking a plane load over this year to touch an entire nation in a day. That doesn't, yeah, come on. That doesn't happen if we're not in synergy. You know, and I don't wanna talk about our missions program. I want you to have a look at this because it's got nothing to do with our church. It's happened overseas because we're not here to boast about a campus or a church. We're just trying to bring a principle across tonight that says, come on, this is time to come into the right accent. This is time to come in with the right language. This is time to come into alignment for assignment because the greatest hour for the church are upon us. About seven weeks ago, just get the video ready, but about seven weeks ago, I had lunch with Michael Atkinson, the Speaker of the House. And he used to be, uh, I think, the Attorney General. And he says to me, I wanna know more about why you guys grow. And because I just think you're really worldly. And I said, why do you think we're worldly? He goes, well, all your lights and your music and all your trendy, and is it just about bums on seats? And I said, no, it's not, but I can understand why you may think that, so let me share the why behind our what. And as I began to share the mission of churches just like this, he said to me, wow, I'm glad you're explaining this to me because I had no idea. And he thought we were worldly because we didn't have icons and we didn't have pews and high steeple few people churches where the only thing growing is the ivy up the sides. And so, you know... Um, and so he comes from one of those churches and he says to me, I am safe in my church, but we're dying. And he says, within 10 years, I don't think my branch of my church is even gonna exist. And yet afraid of churches like ours because they don't know the why behind the what. And God is about to take churches like ours out of a place of deliverance, into a place of possession, where if God doesn't answer another one of your prayers, Christian, He's already answered plenty and we've got a world to go to. We've got a hurting world out there to change. It's time. This is not just Kronos time, it's Kairos time. It's God's appointed time for the church to shine. I spend most of my time, and I don't wanna be negative tonight, but I spend most of my time in this new era in my life helping churches go through transition across all the different abominations, I mean denominations, and uh, I try to help 
people go through inner church conflict. But the sad thing is we're letting the enemy get hold of our time, spent so much on that stuff that there are nations to be touched and reached for the gospel of Jesus. It's a new era. It's not a new season and it's a new era. And in this new era, churchians won't make the distance. But Christians who follow the Word of God do. A few weeks ago, I was in World Vision in Melbourne and we were gathering with leaders across the nations, some of the world's most influential speakers that speak into war-torn countries, lawyers and people that are way more educated than myself and many of my friends in the room. At that event was a man called Mark McCrindle. Mark McCrindle is probably Australia's number one statistician. He is the one that gathers information about how Australia feels about life. And he spoke to us about seven areas of life when multiple thousands of people across Australia were asked, how do you feel the church can help in these seven areas? They were spiritual, mental, social, relational, vocational, financial and physical. When people were asked in Australia, how much do you think the church can help? Or how many of you feel the church can help you with your spiritual hunger? They said 27%. Spirituality, only 27% said the church can help me. Pretty sad. Mental illness or areas of emotional challenge, only 21% of the people, the thousands interviewed said the church will help. Social, 23%. Relational, 20%. Vocational, 19%. If I have trouble working out my finances, do you think a church could help you? They said, oh, only 14% said maybe. Physical, 13%. They hadn't met Tony yet. Because you could help him get physical here. But how sad that Australia doesn't see the relevancy of the church. Seven out of 10 weddings in Australia are no longer in church. Six out of 10 funerals in Australia, no longer in church. We don't need more churchianity. We need Bible transforming Christianity. Christians, sorry, churchians will live from comfort and convenience but Bible-believing Christians will live by covenant and conviction. Let me explain what conviction is. In 1972, there was a landmark case called Wisconsin versus Yoda. And I'm not talking about uh, a movie. And uh, an Amish man had won the right to keep his daughter from going to school because of his religious beliefs. And he fought the Wisconsin government or the leadership of that city to keep his daughter out of going to school because he wanted to teach her at home because he didn't agree with what was being taught at school. And the US Supreme Court ruled that the only religious beliefs protected under the First Amendment were convictions. He says preferences are not protected, only convictions. In distinguishing the difference between conviction and preference, it was noted by the law, not by the church, there are five factors that are most likely to change a person's preference. 
Number one, peer pressure. Number two, the influence of family and friends. Number three, the threat of litigation. Number four, the possibility of imprisonment. And number five, the thought of death. If we can be dissuaded by any of these factors, the court said you don't have conviction, you only have preference. So let me tell you what conviction is. Because in a moment, and I'm not gonna take a long time, but in a moment, I'm gonna just share a few of my convictions that are non-negotiable. Ones that I believe I would die for and ones that I believe are not negotiable. But conviction, this is the, according to the court, conviction number one is predetermined. It's not a spur of the moment decision. It doesn't matter if people stand with you or don't. A conviction enables you to stand when others may walk away because you believe it and there's no plan B and there's no changing. From the Bible, we get Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. His shack, my shack in a bungalow, they used to say at Sunday school. (laughs) And they standing before a king that wants to kill them and throw them into a fiery furnace and they said, God will deliver us. What an incredible, optimistic, faith-filled approach. But if not, God will deliver us. But if not, we will not bow. That kind of conviction, I believe, is coming back to the church, a predetermined conviction. Number two, conviction is non-negotiable. I've already said that. This was according to the landmark case in America in 1972. They said conviction is not negotiable. Number three, conviction is not determined by confidence. And I'll explain that. The court said, if we need some indication that you're gonna win your case before you're willing to stand for your conviction, then you only have preference. Number four, they said conviction is lived out. A lifestyle that is consistent with professed beliefs is evidence of conviction. Our actions show what we really believe. That's why James says faith without works is dead. It is not perfection, friends, but it is direction And yes, all convictions will be tested. Tony and Kath, I just want you to know there's been times of incredible testing and I'm aware of that. And you need to know the things, I shared a lot of things this morning I knew nothing about. You need to know that because it's wrong to have a friendship and then speak about things and then make it like it's the Lord. And I fear the Lord too much for that. And a lot of what I shared this morning, I only found out later that they really were in synergy with what God was saying, which is, phew, thank God, because I really, I really prayed and believed it was God. But I believe convictions are formed by revelation, not information. Conviction are the things that are revealed to us by God. And then listen to the journey. He puts those convictions in our heart. As long as they stay in your heart, no one's gonna hassle you. But the minute you proclaim them, I've been called a legalist and I've been called this and I've been called all kinds of things over the years. I didn't mind too much. I thought as long as you don't call me late for lunch, I'll be okay. But anyway, God will place a dream inside of you and not a lot happens until you proclaim it. But the minute it leaves your lips, it gets persecuted. It will be a time where we have to pass tests. But when we pass those tests, we then possess the promise that God through revelation put inside our hearts. 
Churches that live by conviction will be attacked and tested. The enemy will try to discourage, to distract and to destroy. But the good news, yesterday morning, I was just thinking about this and the good news is with every attack, if we respond properly, the result will be clarity, unity, and we will be able to multiply and move forward in the things that God's called us to do. God will clarify, He will unify, and He will multiply because the devil has an oops factor. I had the privilege three weeks ago to spend three hours with a man called Winky Prattney. Some of you may know him, others of you may sit here and think, is that a disease? No, it's the name of a guy. And Winky Prattney was formidable in our early, in our early years of ministry. Um, uh, he's a geek, but he's an incredible man of God that God's used over the years to shape generations. And he said to me one day when I was quite young in ministry, he said, Danny, the devil has an oops factor. He will attack you. He will throw things at you and what doesn't break you down, but break through and you get stronger. He sits back and goes, oops, shouldn't have done that. Oops, shouldn't have done that. It's the oops factor. And I wanna tell you, not everybody stands the test of time. Did you know in the Bible, only one in five leaders finish strong? One in five. Some finished okay, some hit the wall, but only one in five finished strong. And I wanna tell you in Melbourne today, there's a man called Keith Palmer, I think is his name, who spends a full-time job counselling broken pastors who don't wanna go on anymore. Because if you stay in deliverance and try to be Pastor Moses, there'll never be enough water. There'll never be enough manna. There'll never be enough needs met. And people will leave the church even after you've met their needs. You know, Tony and Kath, there was a time in, in, in Renella when we were at Renella, only had the one campus and a family came to us and they said, you know, we are gonna lose our home uh, because we've got no money to pay the mortgage. And so we decided to pay the mortgage payments so they wouldn't lose their home. A few weeks later, they left the church and their reason was the church says it cares, but it doesn't really care. And with the money that we gave them, they went and bought a drum kit for their son. And they still lost their home, but it was our fault. And as leaders, you get to a place, if I can be this open and vulnerable with you, where you think, oh, I, I don't know. I just don't know if I can keep doing this. But let me tell you, when God puts a promise in your heart and you proclaim it and it gets persecuted and you pass the test, you will possess the promise. And all those years ago, All those years ago, God put that dream in your hearts. And this is an incredible, pivotal time in history. Uh, this morning, I didn't share this, but I wrote it here in my journal that God is about to lead you into a new season of clarity, a new season of unity, a release in opportunity like you've never seen before, surrounded by a church in maturity. Say, come on, let's do this. I wanna tell you, the church is behind you, right behind you, and this is an incredible day. And if you feel that, come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. It's exciting. I count it a privilege to be part, a partner in the Gospel with you. Because all across denominations, I've just recently been with over 60 Baptist youth pastors in Brisbane and taught them how to pastor their communities because they didn't know 
how to do that and to get a phone call from one of them saying, I'm now on the local council and they've asked us to come in and help the local region change our region and never thought the church could have that kind of influence. Let me tell you, you can see the bad or you can see the good. There's a lot of Christians that don't like the church. And can I say this? That's an oxymoron. You cannot be both those. You cannot be a Christian and hate the church when Jesus said, I will build my church. And let me tell you, the church isn't you at home watching Joyce Meyer on TV. She won't visit you in hospital when you're sick. Because otherwise you'd have to throw most of the New Testament away. Because the New Testament is all about one anothering. If you go into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the whole chapter goes through 13, 14 things that every Christian has to do to one another and we pay pastors to do it. But there's a new era coming where we don't have to pay pastors to do it. You know something? If every Christian looked after other Christians, we wouldn't even need home groups. We've had to put things together to make things happen over the years simply because people need to be led. But let me tell you, when the Holy Spirit hits the church and we start to respond and we become conviction Christians, things really change. And let me tell you, the church becomes beautiful. Before I go any further and just share, just for a couple of minutes, some of the convictions that are in my life that I believe are transferable to all our lives is this afternoon I felt a scripture come to me, Tony and Kath, for you in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. And Paul is writing, he says, when I urged Titus to visit you and sent our other brothers with him or another brother with him, uh, did Titus take advantage of you? No, for we have the same spirit and we walk in each other's steps doing things the same way. That's about to hit this house. I believe there's gonna become a walking in step with a clarity of purpose, not just agreeing with our mouth that this is where we wanna go. You're gonna have people, I'm prophesying this is on tape. You're gonna have people come to you and go, I've got a couple of spare days a week. I've got some spare time here, how can I help? And people are gonna come and say, we wanna be part of this. Let me tell you, we could change this nation. It doesn't have to be Honduras. And it doesn't, but we can change a nation if we get hold of a synergy, if we can hold hands with other churches where we're not saying how big is your church and how big is mine and how beautiful is your building. We only do this stuff so that we can create the best atmosphere possible for the unchurched to come in and get rid of all their perceptions about church and come in and find a home, a place that they can enjoy. But it's time for conviction Christianity. Here are some of the convictions that I tried to think about the other day that have been part of my life's journey. Number one, trust God's sovereignty when there's no clarity. Trust God's sovereignty when there is no clarity. It's no secret that as a family, we went through some challenging times about seven, eight years ago. I haven't got time to open that up tonight and there's no need to. Most of you are aware of the challenge that we went through. As a pastor, I could look back and remember the day when God called me into the ministry. I can remember those suddenlies that we all need, Christians. We all need suddenlies in our lives that you cannot negotiate. You know, that was God, that was God. I know that was God. You gotta do your everyday well, but then you get your suddenly. 
And so I could go back over the moments of suddenlies in my life and realise that God had called and yet a whole lot of stuff was happening in my life I didn't understand. I remember one night I was just laying on my bed and I'm saying to God, I don't know who to turn to. I don't know who to ask help from. I don't know what to do. And I remember this thought came into my mind that anything smarter than I can think of that comes into my head is probably God. And so he said, what about listening to the sermons you've preached? Oh, I thought they were for everybody else. What about listening to the sermons you've preached? I went to my sermon box. Well, now I've got books, but then I had this, this box full of loose-leafed sermon notes and the very first one I pulled out of the box was how to stay in the boat when you're in the midst of a storm. And it was a message I'd preached several times. And as I went through every point, God says, do you believe what you preach? Because if you're believing what you preach, you need to apply this now to your life. And I became my own counsellor. But having said that, I remember the day when I just said, God, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if I can do this. And I cried out and I said, God, I trust you, but I don't understand. And I heard a little voice inside my head. It wasn't an audible voice, but it might as well have been. And he said, and I trust you. I thought, wow, you trust me? He said, yeah, I trust you to finish your race strong. And I trust you because when I called you back in 1982 and 83 and all those experiences, don't you think I knew what you were going to go through? Do you think I was blind to the challenges that were going to come your way? And you know, I, 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 I pulled myself together and a few days later I flew out of Adelaide and I was flying overseas to speak at a pastor's conference in Paris. And I said to the guy who was travelling me, one of the pastors from Adelaide, I said, you know, I feel so drained. I, don't even, I feel like I'm only giving out of empty and I, and I just don't know what to do and I just feel like I wanna give up but I don't wanna let God down. I don't even know if I wanna do this anymore and I need God to speak to me. Shortly later, a few hours later, we land at the Terminal 5 in London, which then was only for a short time used by Qantas. It's not used by Qantas anymore. It was the new terminal, Terminal 5. And as we came into land to go to this place we'd never been before, and I'd never been in that Qantas lounge, I said to David, the guy that was travelling with me, I said, Dave, why don't we play a game? I've played it for years. I used to play it with Greg Johnson at Paradise. And that is, let's see who's going to be the first to bump into someone we know. He says, well, you're going to win that one. You're Italian and everybody's your cousin. <laughs> and so we get to Terminal 5 and he goes off to the bathroom. I'm standing there and all of a sudden a guy comes around the corner as Dave's coming out of the bathroom and he goes, hello, David, how are you? And I thought, he's rigged this. He's gone up and so told a stranger to make, I thought, I'm sure this is a joke. And the guy comes around and he's talking to David and they'd gone on a trip to Israel together. And then he turns around and he goes, are you Danny Guglielmucci? And they go, yeah, I am. He says, you know, 15 years ago, you spoke at a youth camp in Toowoomba and my two sons got saved. And we just want you to know that they're serving God in ministry today. And I just felt God wanted me to say to you just now, don't give up. Now, I've just been on an aeroplane saying, I need a word from God. We get to Paris and I got to speak through an interpreter in Paris. And at the end of that evening, we'd flown to Paris that day, that evening I'm speaking in Paris at a pastor's conference. A guy comes up to me with a Spanish accent in France. 
And he goes, Pastor Danny, you remember me? I said, no. He said, 11 years ago in Pithwelly, Wales, you spoke at an AOG conference and you prophesied that God was gonna take me to one of the strangest places on earth and that God was gonna use me. I'm in a country town in Paris, in, in France, called the Devil's Elbow. And no church has ever been planted there and we planted six months ago and we've now got 60 people. And I want you to know you prophesied that 11 years ago. And Pastor Danny, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but the Lord wants you to know, don't give up. We go home, we go to the hotel room that night and about three o'clock in the morning, the phone rings. It's from Australia and it's a guy called Bruce Hills. Some of you know Bruce. And Bruce says, Danny, are you overseas? I can hear the beeps. I said, yeah, I'm overseas, I'm in Paris. And, and he says to me, I'm so sorry to wake you up, but I, I'm in prayer in Brisbane and God told me to ring you. And He told me to ring you and say, please do not give up. The next day, I get another phone call from John Cameron in New Zealand. And he goes, Danny, I don't, are you overseas? Yes, I'm overseas. He goes, I'm sorry to wake you up. He goes, but the generations need you to keep going. And God's told me to ring you and tell you don't give up. Friends, you don't have to understand everything, but you gotta know you're not a spiritual guinea pig God likes to experiment with. He is your Father. He is a God who is perfect in all His ways. And I am listening to this and I'm freaking out. During that time, Sharon comes with me to the UK around this time of going through this kind of thing. And, and, and I'm preaching at a pastor's conference in Bristol where we have a campus. And while I'm about to get up and speak, Ray Bevan walks through the door, who's now driven his car from Wales and he knew that I was in town and he walks into this pastor's gathering and says to the gathering, I just need to say some things. I'm not staying, I've got to go, but I wanna say some things. And he comes right up to me. I hadn't spoken to Ray for years. And he goes, while shepherds watch their flocks by night, he said, any shepherd can lead the sheep during the daytime but it's in the dark times, in the night times that you watch your flock. And God has watched you protect your sheep in the darkest hour of your life and you're gonna be shown where Jesus is. Don't give up. He turns to my wife, Sharon was with me and he says, God's gonna bless the fruit of your womb. Speaks over our children at a time when we needed to hear that. God's gonna bless the fruit of your womb. He goes, Danny, there was a prophet who put his hand in the mouth of a dead lion, a carcass of a lion and pulled out honey. And he said, out of the darkest, deadest things that have tried to hit your life, honey is gonna flow and sweetness is gonna flow. And Danny, by the way, when you put your head on your pillow at night, he didn't know that we'd been in the newspapers for 11 days straight, lied about, which later the advertiser came and apologised for their lies but wouldn't print it, of course. And he says, when you put your head on your pillow at night, are you happy with what God knows? Because that's all that matters. And he set me free. It just totally set me free that there's some things you can't explain, but you've got to trust. 
Let me tell you right now, I'm dealing with pastors that won't hand over churches because they're worried about their payout. And it scares me spitless, whatever that means. <laughs> that even leaders don't trust God. We started this journey trusting God. When I first met, married Sharon, I never was taught to tithe. And she says, we've got to tithe because this is what God wants and, and we didn't have money. And yet as we started to trust God, I can look back over 40 years. You see, as you get older, you can look up and see that God has given you revelation. You can look back and see that God gave you affirmation. You can look inward and know that God led you in right motivation and you can look ahead in activation by trusting God. Some of you in this room need to trust God again tonight. You just need to say, God, I trust you. Some of you have been through some horrific stuff. This afternoon, I started to pray in my head for you guys. And I'm thinking, some of the families in this church, I can't believe. I don't even know what it is, but inside of me, I know some of you have been to hell and back. You've been through some horrible stuff. Listen, we got no other way. Jesus is the way. And if we didn't have eternity... A lot of stuff wouldn't make sense, but we're all leaving this place. We're all coming through. And let me tell you, eternity will make sense of everything. But tonight I beg you in Jesus' Name, trust Him. Number two, be a person of biblical loyalty, not blind loyalty. That might not sound like much, but think about it. I have seen Christians become loyal to their friends when their friends have been unbiblical in their behaviour. And I see now their children no longer in church. I see their children no longer serving God. We owe it to the next generation and we owe it to the one after that to live a life of biblical loyalty. And let me tell you, the Word of God is not that hard to interpret. The Word of God's pretty clear. Let me tell you how clear it is. Luke chapter 17, if you cause someone to stumble, you might as well tie a rope around your neck and jump into the sea. If you keep reading, it says, if someone hurts you, forgive them. How many times? Keep forgiving them. Because if you say to this mountain, be cast into the sea, what mountain? The mountain of unforgiveness. Because there's no greater mountain than the mountain of unforgiveness. And I wanna say when the Bible says we gotta do that, just do it. Don't argue with it. Give yourself to biblical loyalty and do what the Bible says you will win. If you do what the Bible says, you come out in front. And I wanna say to you tonight, trust God's sovereignty when there's no clarity. Be a person of biblical loyalty, not blind loyalty. And number three, be a builder and not a basher of the church. Don't bash the church. Man, I've been in church nine months before I was born, I went to church. You name it. I mean, I grew up in an Italian church and now you're going to get me going again. I mean, we had my auntie we called the ambulance. Because when she felt the presence of God in church, she'd start swaying a bit. And then she'd start going, Ooh! Ooh! Can you imagine bringing your friends to church? One of my dad's sisters, we used to hire the Apostolic Church in Gilbert Street, Adelaide for our midweek prayer meeting and it had a big railing across the front. She's got that railing one night, she's about to pull the whole thing to pieces. She was under the power. My dad said to her, what are you doing? She said, leave me alone, I've got the devil by the horns. I've got the devil by the horns. 
We used to have testimony time. Every Wednesday night it was testimony time. And if they thought they were really cool, they would try to give their testimony in English. (laughs) This guy's been there all his life, but he gets up in testimony time. He goes, hello, everybody. (laughs) My name is Franco. We knew your name was Franco. You've been here for a long time. (laughs) He goes, so before I give my life to Jesus, I have trouble with the woman's. But you know now I'm a Christian. And the Holy Spirit said to me, you can looky, 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 but you cannot touchy, touchy, touchy. <laughs> oh yeah. Should have heard my mother sing. Totally out of tune, but she thought she was great. I remember my dad getting up to do communion and you had to have a full loaf. You had to have the full loaf, you couldn't have little bits of wafer because that wasn't representing of the body. The trouble is you used to cut the loaf in half at home so that when he broke the body, it would just cut right down the middle really smooth. <laughs> and they'd be crying and screaming and drinking real wine too during communion. So, <laughs> But I saw it all. I used to play the violin. It's hard to believe, isn't it? I used to play according to the Scriptures, never let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. And one night they removed the chair from behind me while I was playing the violin in a solo. And then I sat down and hit the deck and the violin went flying everywhere. They filmed it on reel to reel and then showed it in church the next Sunday. And everybody's laughing. And they were laughing at how I was using my bow and they said I was cutting prosciutto. That's the truth. You know, I was so upset that the next day I went to Trim's on King William Street, King William Road there, and I sold my violin, which my dad had bought for me. It was made in the 1800s. And I sold it for a small amount of money, but I got the biggest belting of my life when I got home. (laughs) Haven't touched a violin from that day to this. I'm not gonna fiddle with that stuff anyway. Oh, (laughs) I didn't like church. I thought the people were weird at church, even though I was one of them. And yet over all these years, I found a scripture the other day. I'm gonna say something really, I wonder if the musicians can come please. Yeah, because I have really run out of time. But I found a scripture the other day that backed up something I felt for a long time that the Holy Spirit had put in my heart, that those that bash God's bride incur disunity in their own life. And over 40 years of living in Adelaide, watching people that left the church without dealing with their issues, with their issues, and their kids are away from God, their lives are a mess, and they've brought disunity into their own lives. Many of them, their marriages have hit the wall. Because sometimes the only issue a husband and wife are in agreement on is their attack on the church. It's the only place they can find unity in their attack on the church. Please don't bash what Jesus asked us to build in partnership with Him. He builds it, but we're in partnership with Him. And the church with all its flaws, I wanna say to you tonight, the stink inside the ark was still better than the storm outside. I'd still rather be in a smelly boat and save my life 
then drown in the sea of brokenness and sadness that our world dishes up. We're privileged to build God's church. We get to, we should want to, and we should love to. And it's the best, it's really great. Can I say this as I need to move now to a closure? I think it's my third closure, yeah. Christianity is my priority, not just a preference. But Christianity is also my passion. Christianity is also a privilege. Christianity is also my pleasure. Don't have to do this. I love to do this. I sit with non-Christian friends who are suicidal. Some of them have got very expensive cars and lots of houses and and they go to me, I wish I could be like you and happy like you. Well, you can. Give me a Ferrari, I'll swap and we'll see what we can do. No, no. Sorry. Christianity is my pleasure. It's my purpose. It's my provision. I get to. But we've got to be conviction-led Christians. I was going to show you, but I'll show it to the staff tomorrow. A little video clip, but go and watch it at home. It's on YouTube about the life of geese. Because years ago, a man called uh, somebody Evans, one of Pastor Andrew's cousins from America, said to me, you're going to be a goose for Jesus. And I thought, that's not very nice. But geese fly higher than eagles. And if you study the life of geese, they fly in formation. And they fly in unity. And it's amazing what happens. Have a look at it on the internet. There are five things that geese do. I might share it with the staff tomorrow. And I believe that this church is about to go into formation in a way that's just gonna be different to anything you've known before, but everything up to this point has been the building blocks for this new era. But you know something? And if you go home, can I give you homework? Go home and read 1 John. And if you read 1 John, you'll find what a definition of a Christian is. A Christian has a genuine relationship with Jesus, not the church. Of course you have a relationship with the church, but it starts with Jesus. 1 John 5.12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. A true Christian has a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. Number two, has a trust of God's Word. Chapter five, verse three, 1 John 5.3, loving God means keeping His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. That's what it says. But you know something? None of us can keep His commandments. We're all broken but He gives us a Holy Spirit that helps us through grace activate His commandments in all our choices. Can I, can I really beg you? I've stopped saying, what would Jesus do? Because a lot of people don't know what Jesus would do. And I've started saying to people, can we just open a Bible and see what the Bible says? We gotta get the Bible back to being our final decision maker. When you get disappointed, when you get hurt in a situation, whatever, stop at the Word, not just your friends. Stop at the Word and say, what does the Bible say? Oh, there's so much there. Also, number three, there's four of them. Number three, to be a Christian is to hate sin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 6, anyone who continues to live in Him will not sin, but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know Him or understand who He is. Let me tell you, if you don't like tomatoes, you probably won't be tempted to eat them. 
If you don't like zucchini, you're not going to go, wow, wow, I'm so tempted, I'm so tempted, I just can't. Man, chocolate, well, I can leave that, but zucchini. No, the things that don't attract us, they don't draw us. And I think Christians think, how close can I get? And I want to say tonight, God is moving in holiness on the planet and it's not legalism and it's not license. It's why would you hate what's going to hurt you? Why would you hate what's going to destroy your marriage? Why would you, you know, why wouldn't you hate those things that are going to hurt your life? Why would you love those things? And I believe when you are a true born again Christian, you will have a relationship with Jesus. You will love God's Word and that becomes the final say. You will hate sin and you will love the church. All in 1 John, 1 John 1, 7. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. That's the church. The church is not these four walls, five walls or how many walls? It's each other. The one anothering. And I believe the 101 Christian basics are coming back to the church in a nice contemporary way, in a grace way. And this house has been positioned in this suburb. It's been positioned in this place. You haven't seen anything yet. And I declare a new alignment for assignment in this new season. Can we bow our heads in prayer? We've run out of time. And I just wanna pray tonight. Father, I thank You. I know we've run out of time, but Father, I thank You for this amazing house. And I say that with all my heart tonight, because this place is a beacon of hope. I thank You, Lord, that many are going to come to discover Your wonderful love and grace, or the freedom that comes by being set free by Jesus. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.